0: My name is Rick Cleffel, and welcome to the show. Today we're talking with best-selling author Margaret Weiss about her latest novel, Mistress of Dragons, from Tor. With Tracy Hickman, she co-wrote the best-selling Dragonlance, Dark Sword*, and Deathgate Sagas. She's been an editor and a writer for TSR Games and is currently working with Wizards of the Coast. Welcome to the show, Margaret. Thank you so much for having me. Margaret, tell me about the first time you encountered a dragon.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Um... Probably a real live dragon was when I went to work for TSR Incorporated and, and became involved with the Dungeons and Dragons. Um, that uh, When I met Tracy Hickman and got to work on the Dragon Lads Project, uh, then, then I encountered dragons that, that uh, were very real uh, to me and, uh, and immensely fun to write about.
0: Now, tell us about your first writing experience. How did you get in the writing game?
1: Well, actually, I've, I've always been a storyteller. Uh, even before I could read, my kindergarten teacher used to put me in front of the class and I would tell stories to entertain the children while she did paperwork and, and, uh, things. And, um, uh, and so I just have always told stories and, uh, writing was kind of, uh, just something I always did. Um, and in my ninth grade English teacher actually failed me on a paper because she said that, uh, Nobody might, could write that well, and of course my mother stormed up to the school in anger, and the teacher had <laughs> accused me of plagiarizing it. But but um, I, want, I really wanted to be an artist, and um, so when I went to college, uh, I was majoring in art, and my freshman English teacher took me aside one day and said, um, you have a real gift, and if you're not majoring in English and writing, then you should be. And I always say it was very much like the Blues Brothers when the, the heavens open up and the sun shines down on John Belushi. That was exactly the feeling I had, that I knew I was I was not following the right path in my life. And I switched my major that day and went to English and just never looked back.
0: Now, in you started um, actually working back in the 60s. Um, J.R. Tolkien was a best-selling fantasy author of the 60s, but he was something of an anomaly, wasn't he?
1: Yes, I read The Lord of the Rings in the 60s when it swept through the college campuses, and it really did. It started on the West Coast, and it moved east, and eventually hit the University of Missouri, where I went to school. And uh, uh, we read it, and uh, just I loved it. Um, It was the only Christmas present I wanted was the complete set of Tolkien in uh, hardback. And uh, uh, so to... I mean, I think all of us that write fantasy are, are kind of children of Tolkien as well as of Beowulf and Arthur and, and all the uh, the fantastical stories that have gone before. So it's just, it's just tremendous fun to work in this field.
0: But fantasy fiction wasn't something that you could really easily sell in the 1960s, was it?
1: No, as a matter of fact, Tolkien was just about the only th- only thing out there, which is why a lot of people began with Tolkien and ended with Tolkien. Um uh Terry Brooks, I think, was the first to really jump in and kind of pick up the the torch. Um and then and as he became popular, more writers I think got into the field.
0: Now, you ed- entered the field as an editor, didn't you?
1: Yes, I went to work for uh TSR Incorporated in 1983 as a book editor and I was put in charge of the Dragonlance project.
0: Now, tell us about how tsr and role playing fiction works i 'm without a clue as to how that gets <laughs> written and conceived
1: well when you 're doing a role playing game um, basically for role players you have to play the game you have a, have a, a game master who runs the game. And, uh, this the game master envisions a scenario, uh, in which, uh, several people, uh, as players enter and it's, it's an entire world, uh, that they create, uh, all very imaginative. There's no board. It all takes place in your mind with dice and, uh, paper to, to keep, uh, um, track of your statistics. And, uh, basically, uh, as you enter this world of your imagination, uh, you may be a cleric, you may be a wizard, you may be a knight or uh, a warrior. Um, and you and your companions run through various encounters. You may go to a city and the mayor may approach you and ask you if, if uh, say, that the, there's a dragon that's been kidnapping townspeople and would you and your party go out and take care of it. And uh, they'll be happy to pay you money. And so you and your group go off to fight the dragon. And uh, and it, like I say, it's all done in your mind. It's It's immensely creative.
0: Now, how many books do these uh, firms publish?
1: Oh, Wizards of the Coast, I, that used to be TSR, TSR Incorporated, the people that did Dungeons and Dragons, was bought out by Wizards of the Coast, who was owned by Hasbro Incorporated. And I couldn't even venture to say over the years, uh, Dragonlance Chronicles, I know, is celebrating its, the first book is celebrating its 20th year in print next year, Dragons Ooh. of Autumn Twilight.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Now, how are these books written? How how are they conceived and how are they written?
1: Well, Dragonlance Chronicles was, was interesting because when we were doing this at the time, back in in 83 and 84, this was actually the first time that a, a series of novels had been written to go with the game world. Now it's done all the time. All the video games, everything, have books to go with them. But we were the first ones to do this. And... Um, Basically, the Dragonlance game modules were a series of 12 modules that, and the modules are adventures that uh, a a game master can use to run for his players. And they designed the modules with an overarching storyline. So it wasn't that you would just go out and find the dragon, kill the dragon, and steal the treasure. You actually, the players had a more noble purpose. They were actually fighting, uh, good fighting against evil to save the world. And um, so we took the plot that had stretched over 12 modules, and my job was to take the plot and turn it into a novel, an adult novel.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Were you given an outline or just given the modules?
1: We had the outline. Uh, Tracy Hickman, who was the game designer, had come up with the the outline for the entire plot for the world, or the the series of novels. Uh, But it had an immense amount of characters. It was very complicated, and I had to kind of distill it down to, to fit it into one novel. Do you
0: have a Bible?
1: Oh yes, so we had an immense an immense amount of because when you're designing a, a world for role playing, you need to know um all sorts of details just like you would for this world because your game master needs to make it very realistic for the players. So when you go into a city, you need to know where the tavern is and you need to know where the mountains are in relation to the ocean and and rivers and and um we even had uh, I know Tracy had even plotted the prevailing winds, so we knew which direction the winds were blowing. The only problem I had with this world is there were three moons, a silver moon, a red moon, and a black moon. And I could never figure out the phases of the moon. So if anybody ever goes through those books and tries to figure out the moon phases, I, I just gave up. When, when I needed the moons up, they were up and they were down when I didn't want them <laughs>
0: Now, back then, back in 83, you were probably using a big paper Bible. Is that still the same way, or is it now automated in a database? It's all, well,
1: right now, um, there is a Dragonlance database. Uh, to, um, Wizards of the Coast actually had hired an, uh, an author to compile a database, and she had a series of volunteers. Um, they were intending to publish it, but never got around to it. So I own a company uh, it's called Sovereign Press that is doing the Dragonlance role-playing game. We have the license from Wizards uh, to do the D20 game, and we're using the database, and hopefully we can make it available to fans and authors. Uh, we're we're still working on that.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. Now, could you talk about the collaborative process between you and uh, Tracy Hickman?
1: Oh. oh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I always say that... Um, I I can get the characters into all sorts of trouble, and then I call Tracy, and he has to get them out. <laughs> so when, for example, when we were doing um, Dragon, the second series, Dragonlance Legends, uh, there's a place where everybody, one of everybody's favorite characters, is called Tasselhoff Burfoot. He's a kender. And Tasselhoff is put into a very precarious situation at the end of book one. In fact, we're dropping a fiery mountain on top of him, and uh, and I called Tracy. I had no clue how he was going to get out of this, and I called Tracy that night when I finished, and I said, "Well, we just killed Tasselhoff because uh, he he can't. There's no way he can live through this." But Tracy found a way, and it made made a lot of sense.
0: So is it sequential? You hand parts back and forth, or do you revise one another's parts? No.
1: When Tracy and I started working together at TSR, which we accidentally did. It wasn't ever intended, but we kind of accidentally fell into writing this book. Um, I was the writer. I was the writer and editor, and Tracy was the game designer. And and so I am the primary writer on the project, and Tracy and, and we hand things back and forth. And it's always been important to us that the book have one voice. Because if you're reading a book by two authors and there's two different voices, if you switch voices, that can jolt you out of the world. And we want you once you're in that world to stay there. And so, uh, even if Tracy writes something, I write over it to give it one one voice.
0: So you're the voice of Dragonland, <laughs> Deathgate, and a number of other realms. Now, your latest novel is a solo effort from the esteemed science fiction publisher Tor.
1: Yes and they they came to me to ask me if I would write a series of books about dragons and I was I was just thrilled. I mean there it was it's just been one of the high points of my life.
0: Now for someone who has written more best-selling novels than many people may be able to read, you find yourself in an odd position of being something of a first-time author in that this is your first standalone no games novel, don't you?
1: Yes, yes, and it was very challenging.
0: Um, how did you approach the novel? Was what was the difference between Mistress of Dragons in the Dragonlance series?
1: Well, for one thing I was by myself and I didn't have this whole world background to draw on. I, I have to build the world myself, so I had to be God and build the world and and um I think the biggest challenge was making the dragons different because I am so used to working with D and D dragons that are very detailed. Uh, you know all their magic spells. You know how big they are, right down to how many feet. You know they from wingtip to wingtip and from head to tail. And uh, my challenge was in making these dragons very different, so that somebody didn't read this and say, "Oh, I know these are just D and D dragons." No, these these dragons are very different dragons from the dragons I was used to working with.
0: Why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, Dragonvarld introduced in Mistress of Dragons?
1: Dragonvarld is a world of humans, and um, they are being unknown to the humans. They are being kind of watched over, protected, and sort of ruled by the dragons of the world. The dragons have been here for many, many centuries, and they actually were around um, as the humans were evolving. And the dragons were very fascinated by this new species and thought they had potential. And so um, they've protected them and nurtured them. And um, because dragons, unfortunately, have a taste for human flesh, they actually developed laws of dragon kind uh, that dictated how dragons could interact with humans. And uh, everything has been going fine up till now, but there is a dragon who has gone rogue and who has seized a human kingdom and um, is, is ruling it. And the dragon, the parliament of dragons is trying to figure out how to cope with this. And uh, there is, is one dragon who has chosen to take human form and walk among the humans and kind of keep tabs on them and report back to the dragon parliament. And that is the character of Draconis and um he's the one who is sent to find out what's going on with this kingdom and um eventually meets the mistress of dragons
0: have you already plotted the entire trilogy do you know the o- whole arc of the story
1: no i know i'm i'm doing the second book right now so i know what's going to happen in the sequel it's it, when when you do a synopsis or when i do a synopsis for a trilogy the first book the synopsis it runs about 20 pages it's pretty detailed the synopsis for the second book runs about one page, and then the synopsis for the third book may be about a paragraph. but <laughs> I do kind of know where i 'm going, and uh, it 's just the getting there um, but it 's the journey that 's fun
0: I imagine now what kind of research is required for writing a fantasy novel
1: um, you need to research... I like to research um, the towns the the what the, what the cities look like what a castle what castles looked like back then um, Costumes. I'm I'm uh, research costumes. Food. I I like uh, I like to talk about what what people really ate and how they ate it, um, and uh, so that's that's been fun.
0: Tell us about your use and inversion of fairy tale elements in Mistress of Dragons. I just love what you did in that book. You know,
1: I I had no idea when I started out that this was what I was doing, and I really didn't even realize it until um, after the book came out, it it was out in galley form, and um, one of my... um, one of my staff members read it and he said oh I love the way you used fairy tales in this and it had never occurred to me that I was doing it um so that must have been just something that was that was subliminal but um I now when people say that to me I go oh yeah you know I really did it's just I never it never occurred to me
0: wow you have a really delightful mix of humor in this in this fantasy saga, and it really keeps it bubbling along. Could you talk about incorporating humor into the fantasy world?
1: I think humor is very important um, in any kind of world. Um, I, I humor for me is. Uh, It's, it's something that I enjoy in a novel. Um, one reason I've always enjoyed Dickens and Jane Austen and their wonderful humour that they have, even in the most serious works. Humour can be used to not only lighten a tense moment, but to actually intensify a ver a tense moment if it's that kind of nervous laughter sometimes that you want people to, to experience and, uh, and so um, I like to use humor uh, to enhance the dramatic quality of the book as well as to just, just to plain have fun. I have fun with the characters, and, um, and, I, and I want the reader to have fun too.
0: And, and they absolutely do. I, I love this book, and I had so much fun with the characters and the world. And one thing I really liked was how you have the characters doubt the circumstances they find themselves in, how you, you use that as a device for creating a more believable and accessible to our world universe.
1: Yes, I like to I like to get inside the characters' heads and to and when I do, I try to make it as realistic as possible, which means I put myself in their shoes and I and I walk along and I think, you know, now what would be what would I be thinking now? And um so and doubt and um and sharing that doubt with the readers so that uh you're privy to their their weaknesses and their thoughts and their triumphs. Um
0: well, let's get back to the dragons. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dragons are really compelling characters, and they often overwhelm the humans they're paired with. But you managed to keep a really even balance in Mistress of Dragons. H- how did you do that?
1: Mainly, I think through the character of Draconis, because he is—he is in both worlds. He is a dragon, but he is has taken human form, and he's been a human for in human form for about six hundred years. So he's had a lot of time to get used to it. Um, and so the character of Draconis is, spans the world and makes the dragons more accessible to the reader because you see them through Draconis' eyes as well as then, and, and in fact you don't see them as much through the eyes of the humans because the dragons are trying to keep kind of undercover in this operation. And uh, so a character like Draconis is, is good in, uh, in helping um, readers understand what may not be understandable.
0: Could you talk about what writers have inspired your dragons? Oh, um,
1: well, Talcon, obviously. Ooh. uh, I don't know. I think, of course, the Dragonlance, because uh, dealing so much with dragons, I think that goes back there. But again, this was sort of like the anti-dragon
0: Dragonlance. (laughs) 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 Now, um, how are your dragons different from those in Dragonlance?
1: Um... Uh, the the Dragonlance Drag or the the Dungeons and Dragons dragons tend to be uh, t- tend to be almost human in their reaction. They can they they have spells they can cast. They each have a different breath weapon. Uh, like green dragons breathe chlorine gas and red dragons breathe fire and white dragons breathe a cone of frost. And you know all this because it's all written in the monster manual. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my dragons are. Um, they don 't talk for one thing with each other. they communicate mentally uh in, in images, very colorful images and um, and they can cast magic uh, but it 's on a on a kind of a more limited basis uh, i I'm, I'm just still kind of exploring the dragon magic that they can cast and getting to learn about it, which is a lot of fun.
0: Could you talk about the political aspects of a fantasy novel? They always seem very important, I think you handle them very well.
1: Uh yeah well of course politics when you're dealing with humans you're dealing with politics um and uh and um in this book uh, it's it's not quite medieval we're we're coming in under the renaissance uh the, the one of the main characters king edward is a, is a renaissance man he's he's very scientific and and that was fun to deal with the fairy tale element because you get to see all his his scientific theories kind of get blown all to hell mm-hmm. um uh, so yeah, there's there's his politics, as, as then there's the dragons' politics, which they have their own parliament, and then there's the politics in this kingdom of Seth, where the mistress of dragons rules, which is pretty much um, uh, ruled by women. This kingdom, um, and so you get to to find out all about that.
0: Now you have a, a bit of sexuality in this novel, and you keep it tastefully off screen. Yes. <laughs> How do you decide when to draw the curtain?
1: Oh, I always believe in closing the bedroom. At a certain point, you close the bedroom door unless it's absolutely necessary uh, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that you reveal something. Because I'm a big proponent of the imagination, and uh, I think that uh, I, I'm I think the reader can imagine things much better than than I could write in detail. And in fact, I think as far as sex goes, well, the minute you start writing about it, it becomes kind of boring and and um, so if I do write about it, I, it tends to be more in imagery or sensory experience than, than you know, a fits into b that kind of. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> um,
0: did you approach the Dragonfall trilogy in the same manner in which you pr- approached your RPG oriented fiction?
1: Oh no, really no. Because with the RPG fiction, again, you've got the whole world all laid out for you. In this, I had to start from the very beginning and. And you know, when you're doing like Dragonlands, you have a map of the world, or you know, the continent. And I know where all the the cities are and all the states are. I even know how far it is from one to the other. And my map for Mistress of Dragons is on a little sheet of note paper, and it's a squiggly line with some mountains <laughs> up here and a city, so I can remember. I have a terrible time remembering when I'm writing north, east, south, and west. Apparently, especially east and west. So I have big east and big west on here so I know which direction the sun is coming up in relation to where the river runs and all that so
0: now what skills uh from your um TSR experience helped you in your hardcover fiction only experience
1: Well the writing you know just every book I write I try to write better and so I I've, I've really tried to improve from the old days you know and 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 so just the actual writing and, and feedback from the fans, listening to what they like, um, uh, researching. You do an immense amount of research in role-playing games, which a lot of people don't realize. But you've got to have things accurate, because if you don't, then people, the role-players know, and they really, you know, get upset. Um, so research techniques, where to go to find different, you know, facts, things like that.
0: Um, fantasy fiction has become much larger impact due to the success of Lord of the Rings movies, and best-selling fantasy is no longer an anomaly, is it? No,
1: no, and Harry Potter is helping us get a whole new generation of children interested in fantasy, which is absolutely fantastic.
0: Does the current success of fantasy change your process as a writer?
1: No, not really. Um, For one thing, outside of Tolkien, I don't read fantasy, um, because I need to hear my voice in my head, not somebody else's. So, for me it's just a matter of the writing and um the world I the fantasy worlds I inhabit are for me they're very real. So um it's not so much for me writing fantasy as for me just talking about someplace I'm I'm actually visiting at the time.
0: What writers do you read?
1: Uh well I say I just finished the Da Vinci Code, uh which was very interesting. Um I read Dickens. Dickens is one of my favorites. I just finished Blake House. I read that, David Copperfield, and the Pickwick Papers about once a year, Uh, Jane Austen, uh, Mary Renault, Haim Potok, um, Rex Stout, I'm a big mystery fan.
0: What kind of advice would you give to the unpublished fantasy writers in our audience?
1: Be patient. (laughs) My agent used to say, Ray Peatner, he used to say it takes 10 years from when you're first seriously interested in running to when you're published, and and in my case, that was true, and most authors I've met, that's that holds pretty true. Uh, you just keep writing, um, keep reading, keep sending your material out, and um, do your homework. Um, know the names of editors at publishing companies. If you can, go to conventions, meet editors, meet writers, do your networking, and um, just keep writing.
0: What else are you working on now?
1: I'm working on the sequel to Mistress of Dragons, which is called The Dragon's Son, and uh, when I finish that, I'll be doing another book for Wizards of the Coast, another series uh, tentatively titled The Dark
0: Disciple. We've well, been talking with Margaret Weiss. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, thank you. This has been fun.
0: Thanks.